Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In this riveting and disturbing documentary film, Great Photo, Lovely Life, photojournalist Amanda Mustard, alongside her co-director, and cinematographer Rachel Beth Anderson returns home to Pennsylvania to investigate the sexual abuse crimes committed by her grandfather. A visual whirlwind of memories from her family's archives unravel a world of secrets through interviews, photographs, and home movies. This was eight years in the making, and it is a deeply personal film about family, about trauma, and about a measure of accountability. The film, again, is called Great Photo, Lovely Life, and we're joined today by the co-directors of the film, Amanda Mustard and Rachel Beth Anderson. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks for having us. Yeah. As I mentioned in the introduction, this is obviously a deeply personal film, and there are so many factors that would go into even thinking about making a movie like this. The considerations for your families, the potential damage that could be done, but was there one moment when you felt like, I have to make this movie? I think at the beginning of the process, <clears throat> I didn't intend on making a film, but obviously doing that interview with my grandfather, not really expecting it to be what it was, how candid he was and open. It was kind of from that that I was like, I don't think that this is just a photo story because I was just working on a photo project about my grandparents. It's like it felt a little bit bigger than a photo story. Yeah, and I just started talking about it in my family just kind of being like wait like you've never talked about this like what was that like for you yeah it was pretty simple and then the more that folks talked it just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger and yeah a film felt like the right format uh and i didn't necessarily know what the film would become but i thought that the journey and experience that i was having was going to be worth sharing yeah. Oh, well, Rachel, where, where did you come into the project? Amanda and I met about uh, a decade ago. We were um, in a hostile medical training course for journalists. I was finishing my first film and Amanda was just about to go and do this interview. And, you know, we joke about that. I was one of the first like funders because there's a group of us that gave some money so she'd go down and do this interview. And then when it turned into something so much bigger than Amanda thought it was going to be, I was kind of trying to help from afar, just explaining like the te technical aspects of filming and doing audio. But doing that at the same time is like holding the emotional space is just too much for anybody to manage. So after a while, I decided like, I'll just come and, and start filming. So that's what I did in like 2016 was the first time I, I went to Harrisburg and met Amanda's mom and, and started filming them having these conversations. Films like this to me are the fact that they get made and they get made with the amount of insight and the the people that you talk to in the film is a miracle. I mean, to mm -hmm. be in these places, in these spaces at the time, some of these just incredibly dramatic and important and tra yeah, traumatic moments are happening. From a filmmaker's perspective, uh, Rachel, just is it just a matter of being there by kind of showing up all the, did you, I mean, did you have a sense that you were getting to these moments with these people in the film? Honestly, I mean, I think there was a lot of, you know, and Amanda could speak to this even more, but like 
the anxiety before going into like each of these like conversations or these moments, like we knew what we'd want to bring out of it, but it was always, we get something totally different. And I think that's a lot of time with, with filmmaking, especially like observational and verite filmmaking where, you know, you have an idea of what you want to get out of a scene and the conversation somebody's going to have, but it can just go completely off the rails or, you know, and I think that's what happened for us a lot, but in ways that were so much more telling and played more into the nuance. And I think, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting into when I first started filming with Amanda, but it was, you know, I could tell straight away that this was something different and important and that people like me who don't have any, you know, experience with abuse per se, like we, you need to understand this world and that it's not so black and white. So yeah, um, yeah I, I could tell straight away that this was something really unique and important to capture. And just to kind of follow up on that, Amanda, in in regard to bringing Rachel in, you're filming, kind mm -hmm. of that that in some way the dynamic. It's difficult enough to to talk to someone like your mom, like Debbie, or your mm -hmm. sister, or whoever it might be, but then to say, oh, and by the way, I'm bringing someone in to film our conversations. How does that happen? A lot of communication, and it took a lot of time. You know, like Rachel would come down. I knew I never wanted more than Rachel. Like that was Rachel's extremely talented and that she can wear many hats at the same time. But I, I didn't want it to be like a big crew. You know, I wanted it to feel really intimate. So it was, it was always just us two and our little like Sony a7s. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was it. Um, yeah. And, you know, making sure that my family spent time with Rachel. Like there was a lot of, a lot of not filming. Yes. That was maybe more not filming than filming. Yeah. So that when um, the cameras were on, everybody was fully like informed, tons of like informed consent. And so I feel, I feel pretty good about how it worked out. We were managed to keep it small and, uh, and intimate. And talk about your grandfather, Bill. And, when one of the, I believe one of the first, you know, I think it's the first time we see him actually talking, the matter of factness of his, of his tone and the way he's talking about the things that we are being revealed about his behavior, his abuse, his sexual abuse should be the, a wake up call, or I don't know exactly how to describe it in terms of someone watching this, but it's, I, it speaks to something. And help me out here. It's just how how casual he was yeah. in those conversations. Yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable. Um, but I think it, it's so important. You know, we we all kind of hide in society behind this wall of just collective rage when it comes to talking about pedophilia or child sex abuse, and we think that that's helpful, and it's actually really not. It's really not conducive to actually stopping abuse and. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways for this is that I hope people can get more comfortable with the discomfort of talking about this. Yeah. And that was something that, you know, having my grandfather's perspective and his voice in this was really important um, to see that, you know, we like to use language like, you know, they're monsters or they're evil. And it's like that strips away the hu the humanity and the accountability that comes with being human. So we were very careful around language and, and for lack of a better term, like my goal was to humanize him 
you know, all of these people have families, all of these, the, the men that do this, all the, you know, people that do this are something to somebody. And the, re, you know, we don't, that's not a convenient reality. We don't like to think of that. You know, we like to just kind of other them and um, think that that's going to fix it. So it was really important to me if we were going to actually be able to have a conversation around prevention and how do we avoid this? How do we change how we approach this entirely? Um, to find ways to prevent the abuse before it happens rather than just this very broken punitive response that we kind of have now. And so humanizing him was really important, you know, like he, he's still a grandfather and so many people experience, you know, familial abuse. And there's so many complicated feelings that common narrative doesn't allow it's a it's an extremely messy, complicated uh, situation when you're abused by somebody you love. And one of the reasons I made this film was because I I've never I've never seen that I've never seen that on screen. And I thought it was value to be valuable to share that this isn't easy. It's not convenient. It's not black and white. Yeah, and it was really as a filmmaker like fantastic to have my grandfather's perspective. And lastly, the thing that it also did was it it relieved the victims of having to disclose all of the horrible details of what he did. You know, he he owned it. He owned it himself, whether he was taking it seriously or not. Um, I do think that there's some psychopathy at play with him, which explains this like his like lack of empathy and the narcissism and like the manipulation. Like, I think there's like some bigger things going on than just the abuse. But yeah, it's very bizarre to watch him really not connect with the weight of what, you know, the reality is. In my fumbling description earlier about the time and place when these were happening in that social setting in the, in the society at that time, mm -hmm. this was an easier thing. As so many people yeah. we see in the film explain it away as, well, well, it's one of those things. Well, that's something, you know, it's not our business that's part of it. And, uh, and yeah. it is, you're right. It's easy to kind of shake your fist and bring out the pitchforks and the, and, the, and the, and the torches and want to go after these monsters, which is appropriate in some level, but at the same time, the film makes it clear that this is, these are very difficult conversations that need to be had. Uh, Rachel, in the film, we see twists and turns. And the one, I mean, for me is Debbie. I mean, and how that unfolds. But I think in some ways, not all that unusual in the way that she was a, um, let's talk a little bit about your reaction to, to because you were as a sort of as outside of the, of the family, what was your reaction to that? I mean, I think, you know, and this is something that we really, you know, hope people can go in with and come away from when they watch the film is like the context of these scenarios are also so important, you know, like understanding that this all stemmed from Bill's actions. And then there was a fallout. And with Debbie, like she had to make choices in her life when she didn't have that many great options. Right. And so I think like understanding that, but also understanding that mistakes were made was, was what I was witnessing happening. And also was really important for Amanda this whole time to make sure that both of those sides were shown. Right. It's that's again, another one of those examples where things are not black and white and where you know, and it, I think the hardest thing for me was watching what Amanda was going through, watching the relationship she had with her mom. Like the first time I filmed with them, they were making cookies, talking about like their family. 
And at the end, you know, it's just, just Amanda. And um, I think watching her have to go through that and struggle with that for so many years and all the ups and downs on the roller coaster, like that was hard because, you know, we made this film together, but we're also friends. Like Amanda was saying, like, there's so much time where the camera wasn't up, where I needed to just be that a person and not the person behind the camera. Yeah. And so I think in real life, it was much more difficult to watch it happen and to get phone calls with updates and just wanting shake everybody and be like, you know, at the beginning, we're like, everybody can talk about it. And then everybody can go on a vacation together. Everything will be perfect. Right. Like that's what you want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was for me, like struggling to walk to, as that was happening, I think it was probably the most complicated part. One of the biggest takeaways for me in this was I went through the whole spectrum of emotions, watching how my mom was, you know, dealing with this. I got to a place with a lot of therapy of understanding, like it, you, you can only give what you have. And I think that it was a lot for my mom to be a part of acknowledging this collectively for the very first time, but then it very quickly skipped ahead to like, you know, we're done with the acknowledgement. Now you need to kind of be accountable for the enablement. And there was a couple steps skipped there for my mom. So I understand the the frustration and, and we just don't know what, how heavy this is for anybody. Sure. Like I've been angry and frustrated and disappointed and sad and all these things, but at the same time, like I have to respect her boundaries, you know, and she gave so much to this yeah. film. This film would not have been possible without her, you know, the interviews with my grandpa and like the archive and everything. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful. And I, and I hope people can kind of see through the noise and have some compassion. Just before I let you go, I just want to remind the, our listeners that the film Great Photo, Lovely Life will be premiering on HBO, available on Max as well on December 5th. So be looking for this. There are some positive storylines in this film that really elevate for people looking for that way forward, a way to get to a better mm -hmm. place. And that would be embodied by Bonnie and her and her experiences I'm, I'm so glad you included people like her in the film because to see them on the other side of this. Yeah, it was like a really different dynamic, the experiences of uh, the victims that were in the family and out of the family. And just to make it clear, I, I I tend to say victim instead of survivor because I look at it through this journalistic, like there was an injustice lens, but everyone can choose the language they want. So there was such a difference in and we can see it in his reactions when we play the messages. There was like a violence. There was like a real violence um, that wasn't within the family, uh, which is just interesting. But yeah, I was really, really grateful for Bonnie, whose name is now Grace, and her willingness to lean in so hard to this process. For yeah. me personally, it was really wonderful because she was able to go to places that I wished my family could. And I was just kind of like, okay, at least, at least Bonnie is really running hard with all of this. So we've gotten very close and I'm really, really grateful for how brave she was. You know, I think, I feel like she was the bravest. <laughs> well, congratulations to both of you. I mean, I certainly hope you continue your career, not just as a photojournalist, but also uh, the documentary realm as well. Great photo. Lovely Life, premiering on HBO on de December 5th. Be looking for it. We've been joined today by the co-directors of the film, 
Amanda Mustard and Rachel Beth Anderson, co-directors of this wonderful documentary film. To both of you, thank you for your time and thank you for this wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.